With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. Back when I was single, I saw this girl texting on the train, and she was just texting the whole time, the whole time. And this okay, is- let me get, let me let me try to guess what you said. Okay, uh, I didn't get your text. Can you resend it? No, no, that's a great like pickup line type thing. But I wanted to disarm and be like, "Look, I'm not here to necessarily pick you up. I'm just trying to talk with people." So I said something like, "Are you gonna write the whole book on your phone?" <laughs> We talk about authenticity, charisma, likability, and there's always this kind of borderline when you're talking about likability. Are you really being likable or are you being manipulative so people like you? Totally, yeah. And so so what's that line and how do you be likable? Like, I want to know how to be more likable. I mean, I think you're very likable. You have an unpunchable face. All right. All right. Got Jordan Harbinger, Art of Charm. Let me start over. Never (laughs) going to start in these things. But we're going to keep that rolling. Keep it going. Jordan Harbinger, one of my favorite podcasts, The Art of Charm. Thanks for coming on to my podcast. This is like podcast for podcast here. It is. I think it's fun, and I think it's cool doing it in person. And we were just talking about how much better it is to do these in person and how I wish I could do all of mine in person as well. It's so funny because I feel like you and I have had a lot of discussions. Like I've been on your podcast, you've been on you were on my Ask Altitude podcast a long time ago. We've talked on the phone a few times, but whenever we run into each other in person, it's always like, "Hey, hey," and then we pass each other. I know. It, <laughs> like we never we've never actually like sat down and talked before. It's you know what other it, than like virtually. It's it's true, and I think what's going at least what's going on for me with that is I'm like, "Oh, James is here. Okay, cool. I'll see you in a room somewhere." And I'm like, "I got to go and talk to him. And then 
But like right now, there's a keynote speaker. It'd be really rude to just get up and go over there. So I don't do that. And then after the talk, I'll go and I'm like, oh, I, I'm in the, trying to look for you. But then 8,000 people are talking to me and you. And there's, you know, you're going through a room of people you also know. So you're saying hi. And then by the time I'm like, all right, I'm going to just go find James Altucher. I'll ask around. And it's like, yeah, I haven't seen him for a few hours. Because you're probably in your room like, I can't talk to any more people. Yeah, I get very I do shy that. in those conferences. I do that too. And, and sometimes I'm just like, I need a nap. And I don't yeah. even take naps. I just need a break from all of the people. So, so I love your podcast because it really is the art of charm. Clearly, yeah. you know how to adapt to a difficult situation very quickly. And you knew this from like an early age. Mm. And it seems like your podcast is aimed towards that. Like I, I, if you looked on the list of your guests, it's all about how to, not all, I don't want to say all, but many of the guests are about um, how to achieve peak performance relatively quickly, how to be uh, create good first impressions, how to be likable very quickly, how to charm very quickly, how to persuade very quickly, all of these skills that you kind of were kind of innately learning as you were growing up, but now you're sort of studying as a science almost, and that's what your podcast is so great about. Uh, so it seems like you kind of took from these experiences and, and probably many others and said, okay, I'm really going to study this and perfect it. And what I'm curious about is, because I go through this with my own podcast guests, how have you improved having interviewed now over 500 people who are at peak performance and in particular who are great at being likable and persuading and charming and so on? Yeah. What have you learned and uh, from who? It's, it's, it's amazing. You'd think you've heard it all after 500. I mean, I don't actually think that at all, but a lot of people go, oh, aren't you running out of things to, to do and say? And I'm sure people say that to you too. Like, yes. Aren't you running out of people? I say it about me. Like, you say I, it? Wonder, I get scared. You're like, what? Jordan is the last interesting person that we have at all. <laughs> We're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, I've learned, Not true at all, but... <laughs> I've, I've learned so much... Uh, so much about how people think and, and to get to get ahead. And, and of course, that's a mindset that we're looking for, but differently and sort of meta apropos that, I guess it's zooming out, the the way that people think to to get really far in their life or their career, it tends to, there tends to be differences that are so big that you would think there's just no one way to go about it. And what I mean by that is a guy like General Hayden, the head of NSA and the CIA, the former head who we had on the show a while back, his decision-making process and how he got to the top of his game was completely different than, say, what Heinz Ward, a Super Bowl MVP, did to, to do to get to the top of his game. But, of course, there are commonalities like not giving up uh, when you face adversity and trying to outthink your opponent at all times, um, remaining upbeat wherever possible to not, not let stress literally kill you, how, how do you and things like how, that. How do you get used to, how do you outthink your opponent? Because presumably your opponent is at this similar level. The reason he's your opponent is because he's at a similar level of peak performance that you are. So yeah. how do you figure out how to outthink them? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And for me, I've never been good at that. I've always been better at outworking other people. Uh, even when I went to law school, I... Are you a lawyer? Yeah, technically, yeah. Like, can I sue people with you? Yeah, like, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it, but yeah, I could. <laughs> I, I would have to, like, Google how to do that. But yeah, but yeah, I, I used to work uh, in securities and mortgage-backed securities, which is, like, the worst possible niche of law yeah. to get into. And, but when I was in law school, everybody there... I guess I, I outworked them and outthought them in certain ways. So I'll give you an example that maybe this illustrates the point uh, the best as possible. 
when I got to law school, everybody there was pretty much everybody there was smarter than me. Like everybody had been at the top of their class, uh, had been really, really good at whatever they did. They probably wrote a better essay. They probably had better test scores because I went to Michigan law. It's like really good law school. And I was at the bottom of all my categories. Like I was probably one of those guys who got in because they're like, all right, well, he's done a lot of interesting things, even though his academics and stuff aren't really there. So maybe he'll add a little bit of color to the class. Let's have him come in and do this. And, uh, and I got in and all these people seemed to just get it. They were breezing through it. They were participating in the lectures. They would read the legal cases that took me like three hours to read. They'd read them in like 11 minutes. And even guys in, in that I knew were really smart that were foreigners. There was a guy whose freaking second language was English. He's a Russian guy and he would blow through these things and he, I would have to have him explain things to me all the time. And I thought, I'm screwed. I'm screwed. Well, as classes wore on and your entire grade in law school is based on the final exam. It's just like 100% of your grade. And so people, as time wore on, were like, I have so much time to learn this stuff. I have so much time to study this stuff. It's going to be easy. It's not going to be a problem for me at all. They would sort of start coasting, or they'd be like, I didn't even read this. Oh, I just read the synopses that I got from this other book that you could order online, these like legal case summaries that discuss the important things in the case. I don't even read the case. So for me, I thought, well, what if I work as hard as I can the entire time while everybody else is coasting? Then I'll be able to get more work done than they can get if they just scramble at the last minute. And that turned out to be true. The other thing that I did was I saw that nobody wanted to form study groups because it was considered nerdy and it was a lot of work and you had to sort of interrupt your personal time to get together with other people and talk about something boring, which is like like constitutional law or whatever. So I immediately found people making a study group. These are the gunners, you know, like the smart Indian kid and the guy from Texas who already had a really long engineering career and this girl who is the federal, a federal judge's daughter. And then this Russian guy that I mentioned before, they were all forming a study group and everyone else was making fun of them. And I was like, Hey, can I join your study group? I'm ready to do this too. And they were like, sure not knowing that I was definitely like the weakest link by far. So what happened was they were getting together to discuss all these cases, and I was doing this. Can you guys explain to me why this is important? Can you tell me what this was again? Can you tell me why this is important? And rather than thinking this this Jordan guy is annoying, it isn't no squat, they were going... They, I framed it in such a way that they were learning so much, teaching me all of the finer points of well, these cases. Because it's a critical aspect of learning to be able to teach someone else. Exactly. There's kind of the the notion, which I've talked about before on this podcast with Brian Holiday, actually, that there's the notion of plus minus equal. Find someone smarter than you who can teach you, find yes. someone equal to you who can challenge you, and find someone less than you that you could teach, and that's the way you learn something. Exactly. So I was probably not teaching too many people anything at this point, so I didn't do the minus part, right? Um, and equal would have been generous, but I was definitely, I had a lot, I was surrounded by pluses. And but you were giving them the minus. <laughs> I was giving them the minus, yeah. So that that worked out really well for me. So I spent the entire semester, every semester, because we kept our group all three, or all uh, year, um, a year and a half, the first year and a half, all the courses were the same. And they would teach me everything. And these are the smartest people in the class. So eventually, by the time it came down to study for finals and people were cramming and trying to figure out how to do everything last minute and doing eight-hour-long study session marathons, we kind of had played the tortoise and the hare the whole time. And so I was able to graduate at the top third of the mm. class despite being easily the bottom 10% mm. in terms of raw talent that came in the door. So I both outworked 
and outthought everybody by realizing that it was a tortoise in the hair game all along. Second semester, when everybody got their asses handed to them on their final exams, a lot of people started early and they were trying to form study groups and things like that and get it done, but their habits were already crap. Uh, some people had irreparable damage done to their GPA because they got like C's mm. and things like that during the first semester. And they realized, oh crap, everyone's smart and it's on a curve. And then other people were like, hey, can I join your study group, guys? Because we had all gotten killer grades and everyone knew it because they're posted and people talk anyway. And we were like, nah, I think we're all set. You know, I've been together for a while. We know what works, what doesn't work. So there were other people forming study groups and like fighting or, you know, not making time or. It just, we outthought and we out, and I was able to outwork them. But I studied like 10 hours a day, and other people would study for like, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. And I just kept up that intensity all through law school, whereas other people wanted to coast. And I still do that. So, so you're saying this is kind of, so you were bringing up originally like uh, General Hayden, you know, from the NSA and, you know, other people. So you're saying this is kind of commonality uh, between all of these people performers who you've had on your podcast. Yeah, they put in the hours. And they're constantly trying to outthink their opponents. So General Hayden talked about this in the context of ISIS and Islamic terror. And they're like, look, these guys, are their purpose in life, they're dedicating their life to blowing up as many innocent people as possible. So we have to outwork them, and we have to use technology that they don't have, and we have to be smarter than them. And it's, it's a challenge. But he talked about some of the ways in which they do that, which is, is essentially just making sure that everybody's on top of their game and we're not resting on technology or resting on well, we're outworking them, or we're smarter than them, or we have running water. You know, it's it well, was it was a lot of that. What about like um, I forget the name of the woman, Michelle something on um, the art of likability. Michelle Laterman. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what's what's some and you you have a, a lot of people like that, like Olivia Fox, Shabane. I don't know how to say her last name. Yeah, Cabane. Yeah, the charisma myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you have a lot of people like that where you, who who talk about authenticity, charisma, likability, and there's always this kind of borderline when you're talking about likability. Where are you being? Are you really being likable, or are you being manipulative so people like you? Totally, yeah. And I, so, so I, what's really. the what's that line? And yeah, let's just. Well, how do you be likable? Like, I want to know how to be yeah. more likable. I mean, I think you're very likable, and I think one of the one of the big things that I've noticed is there's a lot of teaching about likability. For example, if you take a Dale Carnegie class or something like that, which I took in the beginning of this whole personal which development, which is totally tra- like training. you could say is a sociopath class, right? It, it like, is kind of yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. I mean, look, the book is great, but the way they teach those classes, do, have you ever taken one? No, they're super weird in a lot of ways. It depends on the teacher, right? Because a lot of times. And I, I, this sounds so mean, but uh, forgive me, but a lot of the people who teach it are kind of like these unemployed summer school teachers that like don't have a real gig going or they're like, I'm a speaker and a trader, but really they just work at the learning annex teaching Dale Carnegie classes to small corporations of like mid-level accountants or something like that. And, Mm -hmm. And that's fine, but it's not what most of us are looking for. So a lot of the tips are like, look people in the eye and give a firm handshake and use their name twice in the first sentence. So it'd be like, hi, James, nice to meet you, James. What do you do, James? And it's like, whoa, that's so weird and creepy and inauthentic. There are better ways to remember someone's name. There are better ways to utilize those types of techniques that are not super manufactured and weird. So a lot of the people that go through those end up being stranger for coming out and much (laughs) less charismatic than they would be if they just admitted a lot of their faults. So for me, I took a lot of that and I went, 
okay, I might use somebody's name, but one of the ways at which they tell you to build rapport is they go through this memory palace technique. Have you ever done one of yes. those where it's like, oh, your kids we've, play tennis and blah, 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 blah. We've had uh, Jim Quick has been on yeah, the podcast. Sure. And he's kind of walked me through the whole memory palace. So that, that's an interesting way to do it, but it, only if you do it in a way that doesn't make you look like a weirdo. And so for me... I might build rapport through some remembering some things and then memory palace thing. But what I really build rapport when I do it, I'll cut through all the crap. And I think you do this well too, is somebody will be sitting next to me at a dinner party and um, I might just say whatever's on my mind. I might say something like, I never know what to wear at these things because I feel like I look like such a dipshit in button downs, but I also don't want to wear a t-shirt to a dinner party and then be that jackass who wore a t-shirt to a dinner party. And the guy next to you is either going to go, whoa, who is this person speaking so frankly? Or they're going to go, oh my God, I know. I never know what to do. I, I'm wearing my work clothes, but I feel like a dork. And also, I would have just worn a t-shirt. It's 90 degrees outside. We should have just all worn t-shirts to this thing. Now you've kind of got a common ground, right? That's a right. real thing that you've actually thought about. Not like, oh, how about those Dodgers this year, huh? But, but wait, yes, so, baseball. So, but that's interesting though, because you have to come with that first line that, uh, you know, how, how do you come up with the first line in these cases? I often just say what's on my mind. So, so like something that's like bothering you. Yeah. Like in that case, like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. Something that's uncomfortable because you feel if you're uncomfortable, maybe some other people might be uncomfortable about the same thing. Yeah, and sometimes it makes them uncomfortable and it'll backfire. Like sometimes I'll go, uh, excuse me, this is weird, but is there something stuck in my hair? Because I feel like there's something stuck in my hair. I'm wondering if like a bird shat on me on my way in. And then like this, you know, stunning model chick will go, no, I think you're okay. And I'm just like, probably could have come up with something better. But what's funny is after that, usually they're super comfortable coming back and talking with you later, especially if everyone else is kind of stuffy, because you're the only person who has been real like the entire first hour of the evening. You should kind of write a book or an article of all the first lines that you can use in these situations. I should just I, keep track. Yeah, I don't know what I would use. Like, I hardly ever go to dinner with anybody, so I don't know what I would use in these situations. I, I do this stuff on trains, airplanes. Anything. What like, do you do like on a, on a train? So on a train, I saw, back when I was single, I saw this girl uh, texting on the train and she was just texting the whole time, the whole time. And this okay, is, let, me get, let, me, let me try to guess what you said. Okay. Uh, I didn't get your text. Can you resend it? No, no. That's a great, that's a great like pickup line type thing. But I wanted to disarm and be like, look, I'm not here to necessarily pick you up. I'm just trying to talk with people. So I said something like, are you going to write the whole book on your phone? <laughs> And she was, she started laughing and she's like, no, my friend, like there's no service down on the subway. So I'm setting it up so that when we get to the station, I should just, I can just press send. And I was like, that's actually a really, a really good idea. And, but I'm glad they don't have subway service down here because can you imagine if all of these people were talking on their phone at the same time? And she goes, yeah, I know it would be awful. And I ride the subway every day. So it would just be a living hell. I would have to wear headphones. And I go, I usually do wear headphones. Uh, but, you know, I, I I agree. I think it's nice to just have some time to yourself, although sometimes I don't know what to do with myself when I do have time to myself. She goes, hey, I know me too. I always bring something to read, but, and so, da, da, da. She's really open to conversation. Sometimes people just go, huh, why are you talking to me? And then they go back to their own thing. But I, it took me a while to get over this. So there's a sort of certain practice of 
getting out of your comfort zone and practicing over and over and over again. Like yes. it sounds like you've done it in many situations. Many situations. So yeah. if, if you did it, if you had to do it like the first time, it might be uncomfortable. But if you do it like a thousand times, you get good at it. It's one of those things that requires practice it, and persistence. It requires practice and persistence. And a lot of the things that people do, um, they do it. They'll practice it in a, in an incorrect way. So are you familiar with the concept of deliberate practice? It's taught yes. by like. So, so Anders Ericsson has been on the podcast. Yes, on my on my show too. He's a really interesting dude. Yeah. And he's like the originator of this theory, I, I, yeah. I think. Yes. And so deliberate practice, if you go around and you try to pick up every girl by like, and and I'm going to make fun of your, your chat up line, yes. like, hey, I didn't get your text. Can you resend <laughs> it? You know, it might work sometimes. It might not work sometimes. Um, and that's fine. But you have to be looking for the reason why something might, may or may not work. And the reason that that may or may not work, that particular one, is because you're looking for an outcome in that situation, right, so potentially. You're because you kind of identified it, and which presumably means they would identify it this way as a pickup line, right. It could, it, it's immediately going to take out all the people who may just want to talk but don't want to be picked up. Whereas right. you're, you came at this person with the idea, hey, I, it's more authentic. I just want to talk to more people. Yeah, so... For example, when when I talk to her, she she her her inner computer, which is going, is this guy a creep or a weirdo, is probably saying that was a pretty non-threatening general thing to say. That was interesting enough for me to reply, easy enough for me to reply to. Whereas if I say, "Hey, I didn't get your text. Can you resend it?" She's got to go through this calculation. That's like, is this guy safe? Do I want to continue this conversation? If I continue this conversation, is he going to be weird and aggressive? If he's weird and aggressive, what do I do? Is this person safe? That same calculation is going to roll back again, like twice. That's going to be a primary concern for a female. Whereas if I'm just interesting enough to talk to, it's fine. Another thing I might do, on a, on a, and I've done this on trains a lot, especially when there's not that many people in it, I might talk to the person across from me and then also the person next to me. That way, I'm clearly not just like running game on all the people. I'm, I'm talking to the guys and the girls on the train next to me, not next to me, attractive, unattractive. Now it's just a conversation and I happen to be leading it. So that show, and I've had uh, students from Art of Charm, when they come through, if they're shy, we might run them through the subway when we used to teach boot camps in uh, New York. We might do it on the subway and we've had girls go, wow, you're really ballsy. I've, I don't think anyone's ever talked to me on the subway and I've lived here for three years. And he's like, cool, it's pretty ballsy to probably ask you what you're doing tomorrow too. And she, by that point, she's already kind of signaled a little bit of interest. And she's like, um, yeah, that's that's pretty gutsy too. You know, put your number on my phone, da-da-da, whatever, and then they go from there. But you don't want to start off that way because she's got to make all kinds of considerations and calculations right off the bat. And it, when you're aware of that and you make it non-threatening and easy for her, then it becomes a much easier uphill battle, or a downhill, or at least even battle rather than an uphill one. So I'm trying to get the takeaway. So the first takeaway is having this inner feeling of, hey, I just want to talk, no other outcome. Like you make the outcome as kind of basic and bland basic. as possible, and on your inside. And then, on, and then the second thing is, um, is. Uh, this idea of persistence. Like, you're not going to come up with, like, the brilliant first lines the right. first 20 times you do this. Right. You've got to keep trying, and you'll then you'll start to get good at, just like a comedian, you'll start to get good at coming up with jokes. You'll start to get good at coming up with these first lines. And then you mentioned the notion of deliberate practice, which includes, first and foremost, having a teacher. So somebody's yes. got to kind of, like, give you... N not only is the subject giving you feedback, because they're giving you instant feedback of whether... Are not they're talking to you, and that's part of deliberate practice. But the, that's the second part of deliberate practice. But yes. the first part is having someone analyze what you did, and I guess you play that role for people you work with. But who played that role for you? 
Well, for for us, it was pretty complicated because we didn't want to do we didn't want to deal with all these like weirdo like pickup artist guys that are kind of uncomfortable and have weird agendas and are now just completely di- discredited in my opinion, right. especially in the media. So one of the things that we started we had started learning this stuff by interviewing a lot of those guys, and we found out that a lot of them in real life were completely fraudulent, just internet marketers that wrote good sales copy but couldn't talk to anybody and were just weird guys. And so we started to learn from business guys. Like when I was on Wall Street, the guy who hired me at this law firm, he was never in the office, but he had, rumor was he made a ton of money. And so he one day he took me out for coffee as he was sort of obliged to do via the mentorship program and he goes, "Ask me anything you want." Just kind of hoping to get some basic Q&A out so he could check off the box like I mentored my mentee. And I said, "How come you're never in the office, but everyone says you bill tons of hours and you make a lot of money as a partner. And he puts down his giant Blackberry, you know, which we had back then, and he's like, people really say that? And I, I thought I was going to get fired at Starbucks at this point, you know? <laughs> but I didn't care. I, I mean, like you, I was just like, whatever. Uh. Whatever happens. And he goes, well, I'll tell you. I bring in tons of deals. I bring in tons of business for this firm. And so I don't just sit and work from home. I'm more valuable... And he didn't say it in these words, but I put this together probably years later. I'm more valuable outside the firm than I am inside the firm because I can do documents and craft things and run deals inside the firm. But if I go on a charity cruise and then do a golf game and then to the country club and then to the racket club and then take an investment banker out for lunch, I just made you know XYZ number of touch points, X number of touch points with these important people that are in charge of delegating legal work out to law firms. That's much more important than making sure this document's filed on time. Like my assistant can do that. My counsel can do that. And I thought, wait a minute, this is just like law school, just like East Germany. I don't have to be the hardest working person and the smartest person or the most brilliant, whatever talented person. I can outwork everybody quietly while developing a skill set of making and creating relationships, which no one else is doing because they're just working on 20-hour weeks so they can bill hours and look good. So, so in, I in need this, to figure this out. In this case and in the other two cases you mentioned, it's kind of about uh, putting – let's say there's this 80-20 rule of all of this. It's kind of like you're, you're – 80 or you're 20, I forget which side of the equation, but uh, it's kind of like the important part is building out the network. So in law school, your network were the people in your study group because nobody could break into that once you, once you, after in the second semester. Right. In this case, he's spending more time building the network, which is the hard part, which only he could do, right. and everything else he outsources. With the East German guy, the, the uh, host father you were staying with, his network was he had the guy in Canada sending him the genes, which he then used to build his network by you know giving the genes to somebody. Yeah. So it's all kind of these, uh, and even um, when you're at the dinner, you're using these kind of alternative ways to build out the network, even in a mini way at the dinner. Yeah. So it's kind of all about the networking. And so I want to I want to pull it back to your your podcast when when they talk about the art of likability or the charisma myth or being authentic. Do you feel that ties into what they're saying, or what what are they kind of saying about all this? The in the charisma myth and the books like that, yeah. I mean, or in the in when they're on, when they're guests on your podcast. Oh, sure. I mean, from what I've noticed, people, well, especially when it comes to networking, that's been one of the single most important things that I've seen from a lot of folks. And and of course, I cherry pick those guests as well because it's a topic that I really love is networking and relationship development. It's what we teach largely at Art of Charm, and w- whenever we have 
special forces or intelligence guys come through our programs, they're chiefly looking for that, like observational skill used to make connections with people. That, that's so funny. And again, sorry to, to interrupt, but no. when I think special forces, I think like Jason Bourne, someone who's going to kill someone right. in three seconds and then break out of jail. Sure. But that, but what special forces probably really means is someone who knows how to fit in and blend and uh, uh, build a network and, cred- and trust incredibly quickly. Sure, it depends on the unit. So like we get a lot of Green Beret, as they're known, from the Army because those guys hunker down for six months to three years or whatever it is in a country living with, you know, the Northern Alliance or whatever in mm-hmm. Afghanistan, making friends with all those guys. And I, I put friends in air quotes because they're training them to do mm-hmm. things. But they've got to create those connections, those networks that become military intelligence networks and things like that. They don't just, it, it's not like the SEALs who go in and shoot people and never actually interact with them other than maybe dragging their lifeless body out of sight so they can get the next one. I, and I'm saying, I'm generalizing here. I don't mean to offend any SEALs who do more than that. I'm sure there's more to it. But I know, like, we'll get special air service guys from Australia and the UK, and one of their weakest areas, and I hope this is public knowledge or something, but one of their weakest areas anecdotally has been observational skills and the ability to pass some of the tests that they have. There's one test that they told me about, and I think this is also on Nat Geo, so I hope I'm not giving anything away that's, that's not supposed to be given away, but they, do, they have to do these long sort of jaunts, and one of the tests is they're super tired and they get to this checkpoint and they get ta- dragged into this like uh, booth and they say, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this area? Why are you here? Don't look at my daughter, you know, things like that. And they've got to keep their cool and generate trust and be sort of innocuously just a tourist or a backpacker or whatever and pass this test. And they do horribly. Mm -hmm. They do horribly on this test, which is run by their own people. So I can only imagine how horribly horribly they would do in a real-world scenario. And I think so the common wisdom is just stay away from everybody. But that's not realistic if you're in-country to do that. And if you're an intelligence agent from uh, even the CIA, if you're also if you're under diplomatic cover, you're talking with people all the time. You're not avoiding anybody. You're not taking pictures of things and reporting back. Your whole job is to get people to tell you a little bit more than they probably should and put that together into reports over a period of years so they can be assembled somewhere in Langley. And this training is is huge. And so people who've gone to the CIA's training, which is called the FARM, if they come to Art of Charm sometime after that, they're usually saying things like, the only time that we've ever had training like this was at the farm, but we just focus on the people skills. We don't have the other stuff that they teach at the farm because we're not training spies. So it's a very deep dive into this stuff that we also apply socially. And so whenever I pick guests, I tend to pick guests that are really interested in the networking and the relationship development side. And we found that guests that are high performers, you never get to where you are alone. And I know it's a cliche at this point, but even with intelligence with General Hayden, for example, it was all it's all about human intelligence now, right? Because we have all that technology at the NSA. For Heinz Ward, Super Bowl MVP, a lot of the support he had was crucial, you know, from his mother and from some of his friends and things like that to making it to the top. Teammates, things like that. He always remained a leader in that respect. And um, even guys like Sam Harris, who we've had on the show, philosopher and a writer, Uh, a lot of the reason that he's been very, very successful and able to make a big impact is because of the connections that he has with other people that are influential. And and I'm sure you see that as well. Even in even even for all of yours and my shortcomings when it comes to keeping up with people in our network, uh, it's been probably one of the biggest deciding factors that's keeping us at the top. 
Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house. I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and 
Like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I'm definitely going to use HIMS from now Not on. that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMS app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hymns.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So let's say given your 530 episodes, you had like five pieces of advice to give someone on how to be more likable. Uh, I hate to use the word more authentic because it's, that, a, yeah. it's almost like an oxymoron, but um, I don't know what they should do to build their people skills. What are the, what are the five tips you would give? Sure. So the number one thing to that I, and, and this is in no order. I don't know if this is like the most important thing, but the first thing is a lot of people think their first impression is made when they open their mouth, but it's actually made with your nonverbal communication because people see you long before they hear you speak. And we're evolved to make threat assessments and, and social status assessments nonverbally. So you have to have your nonverbal communication on lock. And w- I have a drill for that if you want me to just like, yeah. teach that. So one of the things that people do is they they go to events or they go out in public and they, as soon as they see somebody that they want to make a good impression on, they straighten up and they smile and they have open positive body language. And the unfortunate part is when you start to interact with people over a long period of time, if that's not your natural state, you start to slink in and make yourself small and hunch over and look at the ground or speak with a little bit less enthusiasm or energy. And that's fine. That's a habit that you've cultivated from being on your phone or computer 12 hours a day like me. But if we can make sure that we don't have to think about that, if we can relegate that to the level of habit, then we can make sure that we're always doing that without thinking. And so the way that we relegate that to the level of habit is by doing what we call the doorway drill. So every time, if you straighten up right now and you have your chin up and your head up, and I can't do it completely because the microphone's a little low, but if you have your head up, chin up, smile on your face, open body language, and you remember kind of how this feels with a string pulling your head up and a string going down, 
you'll have really open, upright, positive body language and a smile on your face. If you do that every time you walk through a doorway, even in your own house, eventually you just won't have to think about it anymore. Mm, I then, like that. then the next time you go to Starbucks or a networking event or an office, you're just looking open, positive, and, and confident. And when you look the part, people treat you differently as well. So you look open, confident, and positive and friendly. I'll tell you what I do, which is similar, is that... Uh, Let's say I'm going, let's say I'm invited to a meeting and I don't know anyone there and it's there welcoming me um, for whatever reason. I'll go in the door and it's almost this non sequitur type way. I will say, uh, welcome, as if I'm welcoming them, even though I'm the guest going into the meeting. Yeah. So it kind of just throws people off, but it gives me kind of like a one-up a little bit. I like that. It's funny. And yeah, it's, and it's funny. So they all laugh and then we're all friends all of a sudden. Perfect. So, That's great, actually. Like it kids, it pops the awkwardness bubble of, like, all right, what kind of mood is this person in? All that right, stuff. Right, like I'll say it really loud, like oddly loud, <laughs> like just weird, and then everybody will start laughing. Like I did that, um, I was going on Chase Jarvis's thing, and everybody's just standing around. They've had a full day of doing video, you know, doing interviews, so they're tired. Uh, they, there's equipment everywhere. They're just sitting around. And they walk in, and for the for whatever reason, there was an odd silence. They were trying to place who I was, and I just like said, you know, welcome. And uh, <laughs> uh, then they all, everybody relaxed, and it was a great interview after that. That's awesome. It's perfect. I love that. I might have to borrow something like that. It's so what's the modified. second thing? That was the first thing. Right. So that that's the first thing. I don't have drills for every single thing, but that I figured I'll start with that. People might actually remember. It. So the pre first impression. Right. That's the pre first impression. the The second thing is to remember that. Everybody's always thinking about themselves, but a lot of times you have to think about what people are thinking about, not just, yeah, of course everyone's thinking about themselves. Think about what their agenda is for that, and you'll get an insight to ridiculous amounts of human behavioral insight. So, for example, the girl on the train that I was mentioning before, her first concern is safety, comfort, and safety once again. So you want to demonstrate all of those things right away. And I hope I'm not teaching any like weird sociopaths <laughs> some of this stuff. Though, unfortunately, those people are already really good at this, right? That's the problem. Um, and so you're thinking about what their needs are in, in the in literally in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs type of, of way. But if I'm talking to a big, huge guy uh, and I want to get that person to be a little bit more open, I don't, they're not worried about like, is this person a threat? They're worried about, What's what's the image they're portraying, and and you know what's what kind of people are coming up to them? Am I coming up to like prove that I don't care and that he's you know I'm tougher than him, or am I coming up to what, what's my deal? He doesn't necessarily know, and if he's with his girlfriend or something like that, then his prerogative is to protect her. There's all kinds of things if you just think about what other people are looking at. So so I'll tell you what I do there. So if someone's like huge, like obviously like muscular, ripped, huge, bigger than me, you know, yeah. eight feet tall. I'll go up to them, and I want to talk to them. I'll go up to them, even just in the street, yeah. and I'll say, you know, and I'm kind of dorky looking, <laughs> and I'll say, hey, someone told me I should kick your ass. <laughs> and that, into, like, they'll laugh. And, yeah. like, that instantly, like, we, and then I'll say, hey, how did you, what's your workout routine? Like, how did you get so big? And then it, it's a conversation after that. Yeah, that, that would work for you. For me, I'm, like, just on the line where he might be like, oh, really? Clunk, and then I'm, right. like, bleeding in a <laughs> no puddle. One's gonna, no one's going to hit me. No, <laughs> you have an unpunchable face right. <laughs> uh, so far in my experience. But, I, see, I love that. That's that's awesome. And, and if you think about what people are looking for, and this goes in business, it goes in personal relationships, it goes in random street conversations, think about what that person is probably thinking or worried about, and you'll have a much better insight. And the third thing is always... 
why are people saying what they're saying? And this goes, this is in dating relationships and also in business. And, uh, I should probably think of an example of this, but, uh, nothing's coming to me necessarily well, right now. Well, I'll give you an, an example. Like I, I, po- I always call that one. There's always a good reason and a real reason. Yeah. So yeah. I have, I have teenage daughters. So a teenage daughter might say, um, I want to go on this school trip, uh, or I want to go to the library and study for the There's afternoon. There's boys in the library. So, right, so that's a good reason, and I can't argue with the good reason. Teenagers are really good at like having a reason you can't possibly argue with, but the real reason, right, is that there's boys in the library. So you have to always think, there's a good reason they said this, and there's a real reason, and you have to focus more thinking time on what the real reason is, as opposed to fighting the good reason. There's uh, there's a lot of yeah, the real reason and the and the and the the reason they tell you. This might go a little bit. This might be like a, a side jump from that. Where think about why people are saying what they're saying, and there's a lot of. I'm for some reason I'm thinking of a lot of dating and relationship context things rather than business stuff that involves a long story. But I remember. Uh, recently I observed an interaction just here in New York like two days ago where uh, a guy was sitting on on a a train next to a girl and he said something like, hey, do you know, it was some lame line that was designed, it was like, what's the next stop? You know, something really obvious, I don't remember uh, totally hearing it. And she goes, um, let me see, I think it's Prince Street. And and then she goes, you know, usually, uh, usually I have a subway map, sorry. And he was like, oh, that's cool. And then he kind of sat there awkwardly. And I thought, she really wants to continue this conversation. She just apologized for not being able to help you more. But you're not thinking about that because you're busy thinking about whatever clever thing. Like, I could just see the gears turning in his head. These are young, younger people. And I thought, man, if you just say anything right now, it's not going to matter because she feels awkward. That's why she said that because she wasn't able to help you more, which means she wants to continue the conversation she doesn't know how to do that. You need to take the lead. You're the one that started the conversation. And then he just kind of like was like, well, um, so what do you, where, where are you going? And then he, you could tell he felt stupid saying that. And I was like, this is awesome to watch. And Jen, my girlfriend, was like, what's going on? I don't know. And I'm thinking, you know, if you just think about what people are saying and why they're saying it, all of their motivations will be laid bare. And that was a really kind of obvious and easy example. But you see this complicated stuff everywhere. People will give away crazy things that they don't even think they're thinking about that they don't even think you see if you just think about why they're saying what they are saying. Number four. Number four. Wow. Uh, I usually don't have a list of five, but those those are three that I that I lean on uh, a lot. I think for me, when I, when I think of what I've taken away from guests, um, people who rely on their network more than they rely on just being self-sufficient. Uh, oh, here's a good one. This this boils down nicely. The Benjamin Franklin effect. You ever talk about this? I uh, know, but I've read about it. I forgot. I've read about it in two different books recently, and I'm forgetting which one. But there's got probably in Robert Cialdini's uh, influence uh, is. I think yes. the story is mentioned. But go ahead. So the Benjamin Franklin effect is essentially. And I was thinking about this this morning for some odd reason. It's when if somebody doesn't necessarily like you, or you want them to to like you if they have a neutral opinion. You can ask them for advice, expertise, or a favor because what this does is it causes backwards rationalization. So if I'm like, oh man, you know, this guy's super annoying and he calls me one day and he goes, hey, Jordan, uh, I really could use your expertise on on this. You're like, you're the person that everyone says I should ask. I'm not going to go, well, tough, I don't like you. I'm probably going to go, all right, what can I do for you, man? You know, I'm probably just going to think about all right, maybe this is on the mend, whatever, even though I find this person irritating. 
they ask me for something, they ask me for some sort of favor, um, and it can work out pretty well in, in their favor because eventually I will backwards rationalize, well, I like this person, I just did them a favor. And the way that Benjamin Franklin did it is he asked one of his rivals for, to borrow a rare book. And the guy said, sure, not only can you borrow it, you can keep it for as long as you need it, and you can borrow any other of my books if you need them. Just let me know. And this is a guy who hated Benjamin Franklin and then liked him and became one of his champions, I think maybe even in the Senate or something like that, some like political thing back in the day, because he had asked them for this. And it shows not only that you respect the person's opinion and expertise, but they backwards rationalize subconsciously, well, I must like him at least a little bit because I lent him this book and I helped him out with this thing. We're friends. So that's been that's been that's huge. I, I use that all the time. I, all the time. The like danger... When? Uh, I'll ask people for advice, not w- people who don't like me, but people who maybe I don't know that well. I'll say, look, I would love to to get your opinion and advice on this if you ever have time. And I, I do that quite a bit, I, but I actually need the advice. I'm not just trying to get random people to like me. Like I'll ask them for the for real advice. It's not. It's usually not even a trick. I just ask them for advice, knowing that this effect will also play a part. But there's a problem that that happens that people people misuse this. For example, if you get an email from somebody you don't know that says, "James, I really need your advice," and they're like, "This is going to be the Benjamin Franklin effect," you might just ignore it or say, "Look, I I don't really have time to deal with this because." I get a lot of requests, and I do that all the time. It only works if the person knows you and you have enough mutual respect. Doesn't mean they like you. It enough has to be mutual enough respect hate or love. It has to be. You have to be on their level at some at some point, right? Yeah. Like if if somebody that we both love, like Jason Gaynard, asks us for something, we're gonna do it because we really like that guy. But if somebody that we both don't like, and I don't know who that would be, and I won't speculate on air here, asks us for that, we might do it anyway. Because we have a bunch of mutual friends and we see them at events and stuff, but maybe we're not crazy about that person, and then it will work. It won't work, uh, to, and I want to be clear on this to the to the people out there in podcast land, because it, it's not going to work if you just start emailing influencers and people you want to get in touch with for free advice. You're actually committing kind of a cardinal sin by doing that, uh, and it shows you don't right. get it. So you got to be very careful with that. And that's the Benjamin Franklin effect. It's it's very very useful. Very, very helpful. Um, I have a fifth one, and I just friggin' it just flew away. So number um, five, you're you're listening to. You know, I'm just putting you in the in the mental spot. You're listening to a bunch of podcast guests. They give you something where you think is incredible that you should use in your own interactions with people. Oh, I what got one. It? I got one, and this is something we teach all the time at Art of Charm and in our our networking class. Uh, this is a huge mistake that I think almost. Everybody makes, and I see it made a lot in Hollywood as well, back when I lived there, in that whole scene, is uh, it's called keeping score. And, and it has to do with networking. So, for example, if I ask you, like, hey, can you introduce me to this person? And you're like, sure. And then I'm like, hey, can you introduce me to that person? And you're like, yeah, sure, no problem. And then you go, hey, Jordan, can you introduce me to this guy? And And I'm like... Oh shoot! You know that person is really hard to get. They asked me not to make any intros because I've done it like a hundred times. You, if if you're keeping score, you go. Jordan's a son of a bitch. I introduced him to these two people, and now he's all. I can't introduce you to this guy. What a jerk! He owes me one. Now there's this weird bad feeling because you have a covert contract with me, where I don't know that I'm in a contract, but you do. Where you're like, you broke the covert contract, and you're you're angry at me for this, and I have no idea. So now there's this weird bad blood, and then next time I'm like, hey James, you you know so and so, can you make that intro? You're like, no, I can't, or you delay, or you tell me that you don't want to because I didn't introduce you to this other person, or I find that you're you're not doing it for some reason, 
it's weird. And now I'm like, oh, James just got like weird about that intro thing. I don't know if he, he must not like me. How anymore. do you deal? I mean, given that, um, let's say, assume everybody keeps score all the time. How do you deal with it when you're when you have to break the contract? Yeah, it's it's really tough because most people I've found that operate at high levels, they just don't keep score. Mm-hmm. It's just constantly like, oh, you need to meet that person. Sure, you need to meet this person. No problem, and they'll do it and do it and do it and do it and do it again. And then maybe last for one thing, if it works out or not, is irrelevant. But if if we assume that everyone's keeping score, it's tough because. It makes it really exhausting. If I if I say, hey, can you introduce me to so-and-so? And you say yes, I might feel like, well, I know James keeps score. So, James, is there anybody that I can introduce you to? And then I say, please let me know because I really want to do this. And I might do that anyway, assuming that people might be able to get value from a network, but I don't require it as a matter of keeping score. It's exhausting to do that because then you've got to keep track and then even if I if I introduce you to two people, but you introduce me to one really famous person, how do I know that in your head you're not like, well, that guy was worth at least four introductions. Right. Jordan's still breaking the covert contract. Right? I don't know. So, so, so it's, it's hard awful. to deal with people who are keeping score, but the, I, the key to success you're saying is you don't keep score, you just... Make don't keep intros. score. Don't go. Don't keep score. It's like you know that ABC always be closing from Glenn Gary. Glenn yeah, Ross. Yeah. Just do ABG. It's got a crap. Not as not as cl- catchy, but always be giving. You know, always be giving. How can I help you? It's it's you do it in an authentic way. You, if somebody asks, and what I mean by that is not like, hi James, how can I help you all the time and in this weird annoying way so that everybody knows that I help people. It's just like if you ask me for something, I just do it, and I, I just do it, and eventually. I might need something from you, but if you can't provide it, it has no bearing on whether or not I will help you again next time. It has no bearing. That's great. So, so Jordan, I've kept you here long enough. I'm going to be able to charm people. <laughs> Every time I walk in a door, I'm going to stand up straight. So many things I learned. Art of Charm podcast is excellent. 530 episodes or whatever. Yeah. I can't believe how hard you work as a podcaster. I'm really jealous. I hope one day I will have... 530 podcasts at some point before I'm dead. But thanks once again for coming on my podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. A lot of fun. Excellent. Ta-da. Next time on the James Altucher Show. First, tell me again the the hostage story because it's such a, a great story. So you were basically kidnapped. We knew there was a problem because this is a tinted black Jeep, government plates, rolling around, no cars allowed. And anybody who's seen one bad Hollywood spy movie is like, okay, government plate tinted Jeep, this is a problem. Let's let's get out of here. The guy gets in my face really, really close, really aggressive and goes, in your country, can you walk around with just no identification and no passport? Tell me the goddamn truth. And I'm thinking, Ugh, do I tell him the truth, which is actually I don't need to do that at all, or do I tell him, do I admit some sort of wrongdoing that makes me look even worse for not following the law? So I decide, screw it, I'm just going to be honest. And I said, yeah, we don't need any form of identification at all. And he turns to his friend in, in Serbia and he goes, I guess they really are truly free over there. I had no idea. <laughs> the cops would say something like, you guys, Americans, all you guys do is screw with our country and like bomb us. You're trying to destroy us. We're going to destroy you. We're going to send you back to your CIA friends in a body bag. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.